Hello, welcome to the Arkhamoto Podcast. Today we have with us John Miller. Do you want to take Hello. a minute and introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm John Miller, Director of Communications at Arkhamoto. Love Great it. to be here. Is this the season premiere of season two? Something I, like that? Yeah, that was an interesting I didn't email. know we had podcast seasons. I, did, I didn't either. So who knows? Maybe this is the beginning of season two. If so, it's a joy. Um, how long have you been at Arkhamoto and kind of what is the Director of Communications? I, I you know. Yeah, so uh, I started in uh, June of, God, was that 2018? So it'll be uh, four years uh, next month. Uh, really exciting journey. We came on uh, right before the Evergreen launch, so our first production vehicles, uh, which was, you know, incredibly exciting. We had been doing a lot of test drives up to that point with our old signature series, rest in, ple- rest in <laughs> peace, uh, blue and orange for our two workhorses we would take all over the country. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, so started uh, four years ago, have been here, uh, I think I was employee number 70-ish. Whoa. And I think we're up to about 270 now. Yeah. Um, it must yes. have changed quite a bit in those four years. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the mission has stayed the same. Our message has mostly stayed the same. But to see some of the things that I wasn't even expecting, like the flatbed, the the things we can do on that platform would continually surprise me. The Roadster, I had no idea that that was coming. So four years ago, was there just the FUV or was there Deliverator as well? Uh, just the FUV, yeah. So we were there for the launch of the Deliverator. Uh, Jim Jordan, one of our R&D gurus, and, and Brad uh, Harness had put it together. And immediately it was just so badass. And I think like, you know, personally, I'm like, man, I mean, FUV is amazing, but I think the market opportunity for the Deliverator is as big as anything out there. And as a communication guy, you kind of, uh, at least, we're in the same, we're both in the marketing department. It seems like we kind of know exactly what each other does, but I see a lot of like press releases from you, like Hawaii just came out this morning at like 6 a.m. So Deliverator's coming out. Is your immediate thoughts just like how you're going to phrase it to the public or like what, you know, what kind of happens? Yeah. So the beginning is like, let's say we have an announcement. Let's say it's a product announcement like the Deliverator or, you know, even opening a new state like a Hawaii. We have some kind of news we need to spread. So first, let's get the message and the story. So uh, I have a background as a copywriter, so I'll write a lot of the sort of the fact sheets of the vehicles, the the copy on the website, you know, how we describe this, you know, as part of a team, but I'll, I'll be the one taking that first crack at it. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, let's put together that PR plan. So when we have an announcement, uh, sort of the best practice is, Let's try and pitch some of these electric vehicle media a few weeks in advance, get them the news under embargo, so that when that press release hits, you know, we have maximum uh, coverage yeah. uh, from hopefully top-tier media outlets. That's exciting. And do you, so do you communicate with, like, kind of magazines and news organizations? Because we do get picked up by, like, electric, like quite a few kind of magazines, you know? Yeah. No, uh, I do, but mostly uh, I manage the uh, two of our PR agencies, so they'll do the direct – uh, contact with the media. So we'll give them the plan. We'll give them the message. We'll give them the assets. I kind of consider myself a toolbox for a journalist. I, I was a journalist before moving into PR. And it's like, what are all the things you need to tell a great story? So we got to get you the art assets. We got to get you hopefully the video, certainly the specs and the messaging, uh, the timing, the availability. All the who, what's, where's, when's, and why's. Yeah, and so you say you have a history in this. Was it also with electric vehicles, or kind of what were you in, and what was the difference between no, what you were covering in this? Yeah, I started out as a, a sports writer uh, coming out of college. Uh, big sports guy. <laughs> uh, go Ducks. And 
from there, I actually transitioned over to a journalist for IGN.com. So I was writing about uh, video games, uh, which was great. Worked for you know, some with some awesome people uh, throughout the video game industry. Uh, Did you cover racing games at all? A little bit. You've heard uh, I went to MotoGP race in Laguna Seca. I think oh. I reviewed that for IGN back in like 2006. Uh, I covered a lot of like Madden and FIFA, nice. NBA. So still sports world. You've heard the joke yeah. that every vehicle in a, in a video game is electric, right? True. Right? It's, it's pretty good. So, I mean, you had been covering electric vehicles before you started the Arkham. What brought you to Eugene or Arkhamoto in general then? Yeah, if so after uh, video games, I – well – after working as a journalist, uh, I got hired at uh, THQ, a now defunct uh, video game publisher. But uh, they did like WWE wrestling games, UFC at the time. Uh, I worked on the Saints Row franchise, South Ooh. Park, The Stick of Truth. Uh, that was a blast. So I had two of the like craziest, funniest games in Saints Row and South Park. Tony working with some really funny people, doing some really edgy campaigns at the time. Campaigns I don't think, at least for Saints Row, you just can't do them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Those days are over. Wow, so Thankfully. This, is, this is tame territory compared to that. You know, you're covering like, yeah. do you so, enjoy it? Oh, yeah, no, I, I love it. But uh, that was like sort of my first foray into the public relations side. And it was coming as a journalist and basically being like, what do I need to give these guys what I would need to make a great story? Yeah. And then uh, about four years ago, I mean, I love video games. They're really fun. But I'm also, you know, very interested in climate change and I really wanted to get into green tech. I was getting a little older, sort of aging out. The Some of the games weren't as interesting to me as they used to be, which is partly a problem. Like, I don't know if, if you guys are gamers or not, but a lot of the games, it's like we get the fresh graphics, but it's the same gameplay same we've game. had. Like, yeah. I love Assassin's Creed, and I love that story, but, like, I've done that combo a thousand <laughs> times yeah. in 12 different games. So uh, it, was, it was kind of just wanting more out of your job, like more actual kind of like soulful satiation. Yeah, uh, and Jocelyn and I, my, my wife, uh, we had met in San Francisco when I was working at uh, Ubisoft, uh, working on South Park and some Assassin's Creed. And we decided to take a year in Argentina so uh, we flew down there, lived there for about nine months. Uh, I wrote a book. We worked remote. I was like a freelance copywriter, yeah. uh, which is also really fun. Copy is really fun to write. What is copyright? I, I got to ask. So, uh, <laughs> well, like if you go to, you know, arkhamoto.com slash F-U-V, like all those words you see, the words you would see on the back of a box of a video game. Mm. Um, so kind of the consumer-facing copy, that's something a customer is going to read. Like, is it going to grab your attention? And it's, you're kind of like writing in this like movie trailer voice, you know, very like epic stuff. Fun. Uh, so I, I love that. That's, you know, I'm, I would say I'm more of a creative writer even than a journalist, but either way, just telling cool stories yeah. is fun. And that's a lot of what good copy is. What is the story of this product and why is it awesome? I like it. Do you go just mm -hmm. for the exact right thing the first time or do you just write like two pages and condense it down to a half a page kind of guy? Uh, it depends. Uh, sometimes you get it on the first swing. It's, it's rare. <laughs> it, it does. It does feel good. Uh, it's a very collaborative process, like especially the bigger the organization. I remember doing a naming exercise for Ubisoft. We were going to name a new game. And it's like the first time I was like, here are like 10 names and here's like the two I would choose and why. And they're like, uh, we want like 200 names. I was like, all right. And these, Whoa. Yeah. But, uh, they used one of them. So. Yeah, decision fatigue would get to me two. at 200 names. I'm like, two names is great. You know, it's well, then they'll kick it up to the higher ups and uh, the marketing team and decide what to go with. But, yeah. uh, 
you had to be the one that gets to like take that first crack at it is, is really satisfying, especially when you see, you know, the, I remember the first joy of like seeing your first story in print. Like you get that kind of thrill when you see a box on a video game shelf at Target and you're like, oh, that, that was my, those are my words. Yeah, I like it. And uh, so how did you actually, so, you know, you wanted a little bit more out of life than video games. How so, did you actually come to Arkhamoto? Yeah, so Joss and I were uh, in, Ar in Argentina and we came back. We had been living in San Francisco. And when we came back, it was already like the rent in our places that we had been living in was like th twice as expensive. And we we're like, well, a lot of we're getting a little older now. A lot of our friends are getting married and moving into the suburbs. So we had a great like eight year run in San Francisco. Uh, let's go travel across the country. We can we've been working remote in Argentina this whole time. Let's go travel around the country and find our next like favorite city in America. And we were looking for kind of the next Portland or the next Austin uh, two great cities, but like if you go there now, people be like, "Oh, it's too crowded. It's too expensive." Mm -hmm. But there was a time there where, like, you know, a lot of our people we knew in San Francisco were like, "Oh, we got to go here. This is the next spot. San Francisco's played out." Wow. So we uh, bought our little Honda Fit and took a nine-month-long road trip, trying to find our new favorite city, something artsy, progressive, affordable, but up and coming. Yeah. Um, and we went to Florida and back. Ooh, and our, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, there was a there's a our second favorite town. I think was uh, this little town called Dunedin, uh, northeast of Tampa, right on the water, and it was just beautiful little progressive place, very bike friendly. That's very important to us. I mostly say because I'm jealous of their weather. I'd love to be in warm, humid air right now. Instead, you know, we got slightly chilly winters here in Oregon. But uh, and so you're all the way in Florida. You come all the way to the opposite side of the U.S. And our our next to last stop was Eugene, and uh, we sublet this little house in South Eugene. Uh, right on the Amazon bike path. We're, we're big cyclists. I, I mean, we pretty much fell in love on our bikes in San Francisco. And uh, we, first morning, beautiful Saturday, uh, July morning, and we start riding on this bike path. And I can just, bike infrastructure is very important. Like if you have good bike infrastructure, you're probably a great place to live. If you don't, you're probably not that great. Like we were in Tennessee and people were like honking at us to get off the road. They don't even have sidewalks or bike lanes. You're like, oh. Yeah. Uh, and we're riding on this beautiful protected bike path through a park. And then we get onto this like beautiful uh, main street, high street, which has a, this nice protected bike lane. And we're going by all these craftsmen, craftsmen homes. And then we get downtown and there's this huge, uh, you know, four block public market going on the the Saturday market, which we know and love. Uh, but at the time, it, we you know, we didn't even know. We just rolled in. We're like, look at this community all coming together. And this is four years ago. Did you did you? Uh, that was a little bit longer than that. So that was probably like six seven years ago. And uh, we were big beer tourists. We probably went to like two hundred breweries on our our trip across the country. And we sit down and, at the farmers market, and we get a jalapeno corn lager from agrarian brewery rest in peace <laughs> and we're sitting there and the music's playing and we're just in beautiful downtown eugene on a perfect day easy bike ride great craft beer and i look at jocelyn this is like 20 minutes and we're like i think this is the place wow uh so we moved here i was working remote for a video game company at the time aspire out in austin and um but that was like when i was getting the inkling like here we are in eugene uh you know a city that has the potential to be kind of that green tech capital of the Northwest, I would like to think, you know, very progressive place, uh, open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. Really a city where only Arkhamoto could be born. Yeah, truly. Uh, and uh, 
I met uh, Matt Sayer at the gym. Mm. I was wearing a, one of my like tech backpacks you get at a tech conference for free, you know, some swag. Yeah. And he just recognized it, having been a veteran of all these conferences. And he's like, oh, you work in tech? And uh, I was like, oh, I work in video games, but uh, you know, I'm really looking to get into some green tech stuff, maybe solar. And he's like, well, you got to check out Arkimoto. And Matt runs, well, he had run the, the Tech Association of Oregon, uh, the Eugene chapter. Now he's Chamber uh, of Commerce with, uh, you know, the, the new Eugene Rain kind of thing. Yeah, he's, he's been instrumental in, like, bringing in great companies. He was a big part of why Southwest Airlines uh, uh, came here and opened Eugene Hub. We took those guys on a top-secret tour. Uh, they couldn't even tell us who they were, only after uh, did we realize they were Southwest Airlines. Wow. So now they're flying out of Eugene. That was a, a very cool moment. But, like, he helped, you know, spearhead that spearhead that and set that up yeah i, I hate and, to be the person i promise we'll get back to this but you led into it. it's been something I, I i wish would come up with you you said you fell in love on a bike and we'll get back to this part of the story but you also kind of got married in a fuv that was the perfect lead-in i missed it and it got too yeah. late but i have to ask you know what's yeah, so, the story for so that? uh we got married like a week after i started and they were like do you want to uh start after the wedding and i was like why don't we start the week before? Let's get all the paperwork. You know, the w first week is all paperwork, and it's, it's you know, signing up for your health care plan and all that. Uh, so I was like, let's just get that out of the way. And then why don't we bring a fuv up to Sweet Cheeks Winery, and let's get uh, John and Jocelyn in our, in our you know, bridal clothes, uh, which is still one of my favorite pictures of all time. And uh, I think it's at the bottom of the fuv page still. Fine. Uh, yeah, so uh, we brought that up. Uh, it was an immediate hit. We had him at the rehearsal dinner. We were doing like little test drives around the corner. Uh, Jeremy Bronson took some beautiful pictures. Yeah, it was a really incredible experience because it was, you know, we're inviting our friends and family to Eugene for the first time. Many of them have never been here. Most of our, our people are from California. Mm. And uh, to be able to show this like really cool, beautiful uh, vehicle for the first time because, you know, it turns heads at everyone Jaw, drops our jaw that would be the hit of a wedding and you got to clock the hours i'm kidding <laughs> um, no but so so you're yeah, back expensive you're, you're, you're getting you're, that's so funny you're getting a secret tour from uh from an airlines company oh no so yeah that was matt sayers <laughs> like that was that was his deal but yeah he asked us to like take them on a tour of eugene in the arkimoto and that was a blast cool uh but i was talking to him at the gym that first time and i was like you know i really want to get into some green tech he's like well you got to check out arkimoto and I did, and I started watching all the YouTube videos, and I was like, I had never heard of it. My first impression was like, what the heck is this thing? You know, I'm coming from the old sort of driver paradigm, uh, and it didn't quite make sense to me. But then I'm watching, uh, like, every single YouTube video uh, that we had published up to that time. I was like, oh, I totally get it now. And then, like, a week later, a communications role opened up, and uh, I applied uh, Fritz brought me in for an interview, took me on my first test drive up to Skinner Butte. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could sell the heck out of this thing. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, they hired me on. And uh, four years later, here we are. I love it. Time flies. Now you're on a podcast talking about the whole story. Um, and so kind of what is your favorite part of the job? Now you've been here four years, got to kind of see all the different parts of it. What do you really enjoy doing kind of day to day, week to week? There's a lot. Uh Really, I think my favorite thing is getting media and, and customers into their first ever FUV drive. The best. It's, you know, that kind of, that's so contagious, that like positive energy. You always feel so good after that uh, because it's a, it's a weird vehicle, right? There's nothing like it on the road. And, uh, but once you drive it, you're like, oh my God, that same feeling I felt the first time 
excuse me, I drove it. <laughs> and uh, that's always great. And especially when even more satisfying than that is when we see like reporters who fall in love with the vehicle and, and write great content. I mean, that's just, that's what we're here to do. Absolutely. I mean, it really sells itself. I reached out to Jason Nash Nuggets Joe, you know, multiple, uh, multiple million YouTube subscribers. And I just said, Hey, do you want to try a new kind of vehicle? It's three wheels, all electric. And they just said, boom, yes. And the road team met them in California. They tried it. They loved it. Got a ton of content. I'm like, it's so cool to kind of have a product. That's like, really, it's not like you're kind of pushing it on anyone. It's just like, you kind of offer it and people are like, yes, they just love the opportunity, which is, it, I mean, it makes kind of the marketing job quite a bit easier, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're, it's something new and crazy. Like that's always going to be sort of newsworthy. Yeah. Um, I remember, yeah, I pitched a Wired magazine and, and they put it in there and it was just like, oh, that was, you know, one of my favorite publications of all time. And that was probably my favorite like press highlight of, of all time that we've, we've had here so far, but. Yeah. And so what, wait, what does getting into Wired magazine kind of take? Do you just like befriend an editor? You reach out like. Yeah. Uh, we reach out, we tailor, you know, a pitch. Uh, we find out, you know, who are the writers and editors that are covering this space? Mm -hmm. Uh, what do they like? What do they don't like? And, uh. But really, you, you send them a – in my pitch, I just like to put a GIF of just the FUV because it's so eye-catching. It's hard to describe it in words. You throw an image there or a link to a YouTube video. And um, it's uh, very rare when we get pressed, like turn down the opportunity for a drive. Yeah. And then if you get them in test drive, then they're really sold. It's, it's a fascinating thing where it's like, you know, like seeing it on YouTube is one thing. And then you actually drive for the first time and it's like, oh, it's light bulb. It's like, oh, I get it. This is – this is truly kind of different. Like, it's like you actually just get to enjoy not to like, you know, just talk about it too much, but it's actually fascinating to like, I think a lot of people have jobs where they don't like really stand by what like their company does. And I guess that's kind of the reason maybe you left video games, but it's fascinating to be at a place where you actually love and enjoy the impact that your company has on the world. You know? Well, I would say I did, I did love all my time in video oh, games, nice. like great employees, some lifelong friends and some amazing adventures across the world. Uh, but it just felt like, you know, here I had all these these skills and can I put them to better use? And also working uh, for a company, like a brick and mortar company in Eugene proper, you know, I met some lifelong friends here mm -hmm. and that was uh, was probably cooler than working remote uh, in general, I would say. Yeah, I guess it wasn't public when you started four years ago. So you've seen No, it, it was public. It uh, was public. It had, I think it IPO'd uh, the year before. I think okay. that was a... Uh, 2017 yeah i get lost and you know you start thinking a couple of years ago it's, yeah. hard, it's hard to think right on the dot september 19th more or less i was going to be curious if you're the person you know in charge of communications when it went public i was like what would that be like you know oh man i, I can only imagine and that that's another thing is i work a lot with the you know the ir team the investor relations team mm -hmm. uh so helping them set up those conferences and uh that's something that I hadn't really done before as well. So a really cool learning experience. Yeah. I, it, uh, things I'd imagine you wouldn't do before is is give test drives. So the director of communications, like, did you not start in that role when you're giving a lot more test drives or do you still today? Like, No, I, I, I still do. It depends on the event. So typically uh, we're on the road. Uh, Sam Fittipaldi and I did amazing. We've done some great road trips together. We were just down in Australia with directed technology, some amazing partners giving test drives to, to people down there. Down under. First time anyone's ever driven an FUV in Australia. Super cool. Nice. Uh, and we did one epic trip. It was started in Vegas and went all the way to Key West. Whoa. Uh, uh, Sam Darby and I. And we had uh, three FUVs, and we stopped at every cool city along the way and had press drives. We, had, we sent out the newsletter for test drive signups, and it was, like, completely full the whole trip. And, I mean, just 
like a hundred people in Austin in like 90 degree heat, just sweating and waiting for their drive. So it was like the preface to the roto trip kind of thing. Uh, a little bit. I mean, yeah, getting butts in seats is uh, the most important. It wasn't sort of an infinite roadshow, but yeah, us three of us were able to tackle it. We had a, a conference in Miami, and we had potential rental partners in Key West, which are now our actual rental partners. Wow. Uh, and we had a conference in Vegas. So the vehicles were going. We're like, okay, let's stop in San Antonio. Let's stop in Austin. Uh, let's stop in New Orleans, Tallahassee, Orlando, the villages. Yeah, and do these drives, and uh, I know, I know several of those people are customers today. That's awesome. Do you still get out on the road, or have you kind of? Got yeah, oh, definitely. We just got back from Australia. Oh yeah, a couple yeah. weeks ago, going down to Long Beach uh, for the Electrify Expo, uh, June. I think that's three, four, five. So if you guys are in Long Beach, uh, check it at electrifyexpo dot com. Get those tickets. Uh, free test drives of the FUV. I mean, the tickets aren't free, but <laughs> uh, uh, so we'll be down there. Uh, yeah, no, so I still love doing the test drive. I don't do it as much because uh, I haven't been on the road of trips, but yeah. uh, mostly for press. So if we're going to open a new state like Hawaii. Did you go uh, to Hawaii? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, we brought the first, I think it was the first FUV. Uh, I took that picture today that was in the press release that went out. We took that in Waikiki like it's a really uh, good photo. two or three years ago. Yeah, That's awesome. And so, Just on my phone. Like I would say like 30% of the of the photos on the website are from those like road trips yeah. from my Google Pixel. Phones are surprisingly good these days. Yeah. Okay. So just, just, I'm curious to walk through it. I'm sure a lot of people are like, what is the director? You know, a lot of writers out there are curious. So you're aware that we're opening Hawaii. Obviously, you can't talk about it to anyone. What is kind of your steps leading up to? Say it's like a month or two out. Like, what do you kind of get rolling and get in place? Yeah. So ideally, you, you sort of pick your release date and you work backward from that. And, uh, opening a new state is a little different because it's not like a, a product announcement. So a new state, you know, we have to have everything kind of hit at the same time. Uh, so our customer experience team is reaching out to those customers. The website is all updated and ready to take orders. Uh, I would say the only thing that really happens in advance is ideally, uh, we have that release done. It's under embargo. I can give it to reporters early so that their coverage will hit on the day. Uh, something like a product launch is a little different. Like let's take the flatbed, which is uh, scheduled to come out later this year. Uh, so we would uh, put together a PR plan, uh, say, it depends, but you know, say three, four, five, six months out even, uh, where we'd have uh, first drives uh, with reporters, invite them out, get them behind the curtain, try it before it comes out. They get to be some of the first people in the world to test it out. Uh, we'll look for potential partners to show it off. So the flatbed has great use on like farms and for agricultural use. And just for around town, I think it actually was sort of born out of our pilot program with uh, the city of Orlando. Really? Um, Wait, yeah, so, so we, were, we were doing the pilot with Orlando and uh, we had the deliverators and FUVs and rapid responders. And... Uh, they really liked the Deliverator, but they wanted something like for their parks department, uh, more akin to one of those like maintenance golf carts you might see that has that kind of flat bed. And uh, we're like, we can do that. And uh, <laughs> then the flat bed was born. That's fascinating. So you just, I mean, were you there in Orlando when that kind of happened or you just kind of hear about it? Uh, I was in there during, I mean, I was there. I'm trying to. I mean, that's how yeah, a new no, vehicle. We, we were there. We yeah, we were there. We were meeting with uh, Chris Castro, one of the like directors of sustainability. Yeah, uh, just a real leader in the country uh, as far as like city employees go. 
Uh, Orlando is considered one of the most sustainable cities in the whole country, and he's been spearheading that effort, won a ton of awards. Great guy, Chris Castro. I hope you're doing well. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and they he brought us in with the city, and they gave us that feedback. And, yeah, we brought it back home. And That's all. I know. I was curious, and I'm sure a lot of people are. I was like, how do they pick what vehicle to make next? Like, what, what kind of platform to tackle? And there's, like, the city tells you, you know? I mean, yeah, certainly that helps. Uh, you know, I think the Roadster was like, what if we chop off the roof, right? <laughs> so, you know, you have this platform, and we have this, these great guys in R&D are super creative, and and I think Jim Jordan just hacked the roof off that thing. Like, oh, I'll put a little motorcycle saddle here. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm not too into, like, sort of the early product development, but it is cool to see what, you know, those that talented group of people comes up with. Absolutely. And so not new state opening, but new product. MLM, that's pretty recent. Yeah, MLM's a, a great example. Yeah, so what we would like to do is, so here, here's a great example. So we announced the MLM. We kind of gave a teaser. We don't know how much it is. We don't know how fast it goes. We don't know how much it weighs. <laughs> right. Or, well, we yeah. might know internally, but we haven't shared that information yet because it's still in development. That's going to change. Your dream as a communicator. You can't communicate any of it. <laughs> well, it's it's a, it's a kind of a cycle. Think about a movie, right? Think about it like a movie teaser. Then you go to a movie trailer. Yeah. Uh, and then you might even have like some behind-the-scenes stuff that, that comes out before. So how do you like capture people's interest with as little information as possible. Yeah. And basically we can say, hey, we're making a three-wheel tilting trike based on Tilting Motorworks technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. That's that's a cool story. We've, we've got the photos. I think we unveiled it, at, announced it at the ramp at Up event. Um, so that's like your first pillar, right? You, you got a nice, we'll call it a campaign tent pole. Yeah. Uh, so the teasers are yeah you have your your teaser <laughs> then you have your like preview phase and then you have your product launch and review phase mm. uh, so you're gonna want to uh, get that teaser get teaser out get get the immediate interest uh, and now we have a lot of customers also like I want to be able to tell them more but we can't just yet. Because it's still underdeveloped. Is that different from other, like, were you at a publicly traded company before? Or, like, is it different? Like, I'm assuming no, you work with legal all the time now. Oh, yeah. Well, everything's, you know, everything external needs, needs to go through legal anyways, which is just a good safety net. And they've been awesome. Uh, sometimes I give them stuff, like, hours before it needs to go out. And they'll be like, okay. Thank you. Ah. Uh, but I assume at other companies you didn't really need to do no, that. No, absolutely. You always, I mean, Ubisoft, THQ, yeah, you have mm. big, massive. These are huge campaigns of, like, yeah you know, million dollar products or, or however you want to describe it. So it's a big deal. Like you want to, that's why having that great plan and building it out. So hopefully you get the plan approved in advance. You're going to get all the assets approved before they go out. I guess I was, I was always under the kind of understanding that public companies have more scrutiny of like anything could be like traded on, but private companies, it seems like they could be more kind well, of. Ubisoft is public. THQ is public. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've worked at big public companies before. Yeah. But even then, I mean, uh, when you we still, you still have a legal department. I mean, so there is more scrutiny. Like you shouldn't say something publicly before we've had a chance to like properly announce it. Yeah. Uh, which I think could be considered like some kind of insider trading or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, I mean, we, we still have kind of the same standards, like, and for me, it's really press interest and we got to work, you know, sort of again, toolbox for the journalist. So we give them enough for like a great story. Here's a, here's this new product intro, Mm -hmm. but now they have questions and we can't answer them all, but hopefully we got a nice little press pop out of that first tent pole. And now the sort of the next phase moving up to the MLM is, uh, we'll debut like sort of the production design. This mm. will be the production intent vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll bring in uh, journalists to take their first press rides. 
that'll be its own separate tent pole. So ideally, you see those previews coming before it comes out, gets people really excited. And then the review phase, you mentioned that. And yeah, I wanted to ask review. in the moment. So what is that? Like once it's out on the market, like you kind of just feel uh, people. You can do it. You can do it before. Hmm. Uh, ideally, you do it before under embargo. So we have the production vehicles. Let's say it launches on, I don't know, we'll just say November 1. Yeah. Uh, so let's say that month of October. You have these final vehicles. This is a hypothetical vehicle at a hypothetical company. This isn't a real date, yeah. Yeah, and (laughs) it depends on what the product is, but in advance, ideally, you want to get it to a journalist. Uh, You don't want to – so you want to get it to them in advance so that once the product is actually launched, we can say, hey, this product is now available. That press release goes out. Those journalists are able to hit uh, enter and submit their story and – uh, it goes live at the same time. So it's newsworthy for them. Uh, it's all kind of coming together. Yeah. Uh, but they're under embargo, and that that's a big advantage for them. And, you know, as journalists, you, you want that. You want to have some time to write your story, put it together. If I just announce something and I don't – if you're a journalist and you don't have any of that, now you're already late because yeah. someone has already written it. Uh, so you've missed the, the scoop, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can't do it for everyone, but you want to get like as many top tier uh, journalists as possible. Yeah. Were you on that side when you were an independent, like when you're traveling the world and stuff, were you on that side of kind of covering companies, not being out when you're a freelancer? Were you, were you just trying to get the scoop at that point? Or I guess when you were a freelancer, were you working at a company or were you trying to like get coverage? Uh, yeah, of I was companies? doing mostly copywriting uh, mm-hmm. from the road. So I wasn't doing like PR campaigns. Mm. Uh, I, w- I would say the last game I had launched before Argentina was uh, South Park. Well, South Park, Stick of Truth. Then we also launched Assassin's Creed uh, Liberation, a really cool one with the first female uh, assassin in New Orleans. Uh, really cool game. And then, so that those were like the end of those sort of campaigns. Uh, then I was doing copywriting uh, after that on the road. That's just a lot easier to do. You can be creative. Uh, it's hard on the road. Like we're, we're traveling all over. Uh, to sort of put that together. And you that's something you mostly want to be able to be in-house for as well. Yeah. You're not going to see a lot of uh, freelance people putting together whole PR campaigns. So was your embargo back when you're kind of covering like Assassin's Creed, would you just get the game early and you just play it a bunch and then you kind of write up stuff about it? Or what was that like? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, wow. <laughs> we would get, so like at IGN, uh, the publisher, let's say Electronic Arts, would send us a copy of uh, a preview copy of FIFA. So it's not final. It has some bugs. Yeah, uh, they still got some work to do, but it's in a good playable state that they're proud of, mm. and they'll give it to us. Hopefully, we write up a glowing article. Uh, and you can't be too critical because it's still a preview, and you'll say, "Well, hopefully these things are fixed by the final review. We'll see." Uh, huh. uh, but you get to you know give people the first look before it comes out. Wow, that's got to be just, so. You've been doing that a long time, and now you get to do it for Arkhamoto. That's that's an awesome journey. To I mean, we're just about a half hour, and not that we have to cut it, but you know, I, I'm more or less curious. Your journey's brought you to here. Where what do you excites you about tomorrow? Like working with Arkhamoto in terms of you know. Yeah, so I'm really excited about you know we call it the future of transportation, and I love telling this story because you know we're not there yet. We might even be decades away. But Arkhamoto's put itself in a great position to achieve that. So what do we know about the future of transportation? We know it's going to be electric, right? Check. That's a no-brainer. We think it's going to be shared as well. Uh, You go to cities around uh, the country, you'll see, especially with young people, car ownership is on decline. It's very expensive to own and maintain and park a car. I mean, San Francisco, I was so glad when I got rid of my car. That saves you a ton of money. I, I I think the stat was like... 
9,000 bucks a year, something like that. Uh, well, when you add it all up. So, and then it sits, you only use it for maybe an hour or two a day. You know, the average American only drives 30 miles a day. So now you have this thing that's depreciating in value, taking up space and it's costing you a lot of money. So we're seeing car ownership on the decline. And you'll see in cities, many people are either riding their bikes, they're taking Ubers, they're taking Lyfts, they're taking Lime scooters, uh, things like that, especially in the urban environment. And there's more people living in cities. More than 50% of the world's population now lives in cities, and that's only growing and will continue to grow. Uh, and if you've been to any city lately, you've probably been stuck in traffic. So we see how transportation is – the current system is, is a problem. Mm -hmm. If we all have a vehicle and they're all sitting there taking up space, problem. Uh, so we think that shared mobility is going to be a thing. Uh, that means you're not going to own the car. It will be more transportation as a service. Uh, you hit a button on an app, a vehicle is going to arrive, uh, take you where you need to go. Uh, the third pillar of that would be autonomous. Self-driving is also sort of a no-brainer, uh, especially in cities. It's something like 94% of all accidents are caused by human error. And now we're like, we're very close, uh, closer than many people think on some of the technology for a real safe uh, driving experience that takes all the hassle and white knuckle stress. You're going to be kicking back, <laughs> streaming video on your windshield and like business class, just chilling. Or maybe it's a mobile hot tub. Maybe it's a, a mobile office and you're doing some work and you get where you need to go. Yeah. Uh, but now you can take that time back for yourself instead of just focusing on the drive. Wow. And uh, so we, we believe Autonomous is coming. We have our partnership with with Faction. Um, they just released a, a great new video of a self-driving fun utility vehicle. Yeah. Uh, you can see it on Faction Moto uh, YouTube channel. Uh, maybe drop a link in there if you can. Yeah. Uh, I'll send it to you. Fun. Uh, that happen. Yeah, so they're also building our uh, driverless uh, deliverator as well. So, you know, we're in on that uh, technology. And then the, the fourth pillar, so we have electric shared mobility, autonomous, and then right-sized, a, a small footprint vehicle. 90% of trips today have only one or two people, and they're mostly carrying a small amount of cargo. So, again, you're going to hit a button on your phone, transportation as a service. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's your VR helmet. <laughs> maybe it's your smart glasses. Maybe it's your sleeve. Who knows what it'll be? Uh, you blink three times, and your car will come. Boom, it's there. And uh, you're going to say, uh, I have... Two people, I'm going to this location, and the right tool for the job is going to show up. Maybe if you're going skiing in Tahoe with the kids, you know, the Model Y is going to show up. Uh, if you're doing what 90% of us do every day, then it's more than likely a vehicle like the FUV is going to be able to, to do that. And when you have a self-driving, now we're talking about zero emissions and zero collisions. Mm -hmm. So you have a really safe ecosystem. Yeah. And that also means because it's shared mobility, you have a lot less vehicles on the road. So uh, you, you've solved a lot of traffic issues. Imagine uh, one of my favorite things is in traffic, you know, you're, you're at that red light and all the cars kind of squish together to come to a stop. Mm -hmm. And then when it goes green, that one car goes, the other car goes, and it stretches out again. But mm -hmm. it's really slow and inefficient. Yeah. Imagine if like the lights turn and it's like they're all moving together, almost like a train just like blood through your veins. That's so much more efficient. I think I read a stat once, like even if we didn't go electric and we just got transportation to that point, 
we would solve like 90% of transportation emissions because you're just sitting there at lights spewing exhaust. Uh, so really cool. If you just have a smart transportation system where everything's moving, you might not even ever have to stop. Like the concept of lights can change. You can have a really smart city where everything is flowing uh, perfectly. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's kind of like where we're going. And I just love uh, telling that story. It's, it's sort of a no brainer of a future. Uh, all the technology is coming together, yeah, and uh, we're working on all of those aspects right now. I'd say no-brainer if you thought about it this much. I think I, I certainly haven't thought about it that much. I, the first question should have been, what do you think the future of transportation is going to be? That's phenomenal. Something you kind of mentioned that is actually pretty big on my mind is just owning something is a hassle. We went on a two-week trip, and we came back, and our car was towed because they went to trim leaves or to trim the branches oh, on it. Yeah. And we're like, like not just knowing that it's like, oh, I don't have a – a really expensive thing, maybe even the most expensive thing some people own, could just you know could just keep accruing costs. Having that gone would just be a real freedom. Yeah, I mean, think about it. All your insurance is taken care of. I would yeah. hope that even future after that. I mean, I would imagine a country in Europe, for example, let's say Norway. Let's say we get to this point and we achieve all of those things. You're, go I think you're going to see transportation as a service almost treated like public transportation. It's such an investment in your infrastructure. You're going to have a huge quality of life increase for all your citizens. So it could come out of your tax dollars or it could be very affordable, a couple bucks a ride. Mm -hmm. uh, we might, we'll see different uh, pricing models. Uh, but I would like to think uh, somewhere in the future there, you're, it's just going to be part of living. It's going to be like water or Uni maybe the internet. Universal ride share. Yeah. <laughs> That's the next big push. Could be. That's a beautiful. Uh, that could be 50 years out, but maybe yeah. sooner. That's fascinating. Did you just start getting into kind of the future of, um, you know, driving since you started the Arkham Motor, or has this always been a kind of a pet interest of yours? A uh, little bit of both. Uh, I, when I, I lived in San Diego out of college and I had a 40 mile one each way commute. So 80 miles a day, a lot of time to think about it. And when there were the horse races in Del Mar, you're just stuck in traffic, just like gritting your teeth. Like, Oh my God, this is so stupid. And uh, having living in LA with a bit of a commute, San Francisco with a bit of a commute. I mean, I hate driving. It's funny because I work with all these like automotive reporters and I'm probably the one that <laughs> the only one who just hates the idea of driving. I don't want to be in a car. And that's what really attracted me to the FUV is like, I mean, going to those same cities where I'm stuck in traffic and pulling up to, I lived in this little beach house in San Diego, like one block from the beach. So parking is notoriously horrible. And I go up there in my San Diego rental FUV and I slipped into a spot this big and I was like, that was like 20 minutes that I saved right there. Yeah. And trust me, I remember parking my car back then. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> so that alone uh, was just so nice. So the, the joy of driving the FUV in a city that I've already lived in, it totally opens it up in a new way. Even like San Francisco, like think about, you know, it's nice to get on an artery if you have the timed lights. Uh, but with the FUV, you don't really care about fuel so much. So mm. you can get on a side street with, it's all stop signs and shroom. Throttle, hit that region, yeah. throttle, hit that region, yeah. and you're just buzzing through the city any way you want to go. Yeah. So it really opens things up. That's score. I'm, I'm very excited to have you on the show again, man. I'm going to start off with, since you last came on, what other kind of theories do you have about the future of technology or the future of driving? It's, it's going to be very exciting to just kind of see how, you know, the whole U.S. and Norway or all these kind of European countries progress. But thank you very much for coming on the show. If you have any final thoughts, I mean, feel free, but... Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Arkhamoto Podcast. There we go. Season two premiere. There we go. All right. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Bye-bye.